Well, good morning, everyone. I am Pastor Jason, the senior pastor here, and thank you so much for choosing to come and worship with us this morning as we celebrate Jesus Christ, as we worship Him together, worship Him to one another, and open up His Word. I would like to start this morning off a little bit differently. If some of you noticed as you came in, there were some slides going through and it gave an announcement in there that we will be having a, a time of prayer next Sunday evening. And I would encourage all of you to come so that we might corporately gather together and pray. There are so many things in our country, in the world, that we need to be praying for. And as a family, what keeps coming back to us throughout this last week is the coronavirus. And I'm not sure if it's affected any of you or not, but I would like to go ahead and, and, and pray for the, those involved with the coronavirus that ha- have been affected even for the future and that we would be able to keep our eyes upon the Lord in this time. So let me open our time like that. Heavenly Father, We thank You that You are indeed sovereign. That You are in control of all things. Including the health of so many of those that are affected right now with the coronavirus. Lord, I I pray that You would be with all of those families that are feeling the pain associated with this virus, the, the loss of loved ones. I pray also for those that that have not been affected yet, but are wondering when and if it will affect them, Lord, that you would just give them peace that comes from you. I pray that your gospel would continue to go forth. For we know ultimately that you hold the answer to, to death in your hands, Lord, that you conquered death and that we do not need to fear death. But I pray that you would put an end to this virus. That you would allow the, the scientists, the doctors, or whoever is involved in coming up with a cure, that you would give them a cure and that you would allow the spread of, of this terrible disease to, to stop spreading. And now as we turn to your word, your all-sufficient word, Lord, I ask that, that you would help us, Lord, for we are in so much need of a better understanding of who you are, how great you are, and how you graciously provide for us on a daily basis. Open our eyes of faith this morning and teach us through your word. We ask in the most glorious, the precious name above all names, the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So my plan this morning was to give some sort of detailed description on on somebody that has been struggling with this or with that and and go into some great story and and yet what the Lord has has done is he's worked in my heart and my life and I would ask you to turn to second Timothy chapter 2 Verses 3 and 4 this morning, rather than jumping right into the book of Acts and watching Jesus at work, because Jesus is at work not only in the book of Acts, He's at work in our lives. Each one of us. And as I was going to go here this morning, the, 
the Lord and His providence and goodness allowed me to, to get sick on Friday and Saturday. And they told me in seminary, they said, one of the hardest things about being a pastor is Sunday always comes. And to be honest, I wish I could have pressed the pause button and it would have stayed Saturday, 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 but no Sunday comes. And the words of the Apostle Paul to Timothy have, have been ringing in my head all morning as Paul is, is writing his last epistle and he writes it to his, his brother, his co-worker in the faith who happens to be his son in the faith as Paul led him to the Lord. And what Paul is doing is he's ha- handing off the baton, letting young Timothy know, okay, my life is about done, but this, this is what you need to take away. This is what you need to put in your back pocket young Timothy, and take out time and time and time again and remember this. And this has been an encouragement and a challenge for me. As it says in Second Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, Suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. And whether we like it or not, we have been enlisted as soldiers in the Lord Jesus Christ's army. And although we'd love to press the pause button and allow a certain day not to happen or, or allow us to get out of something that the Lord definitely desires us to be involved in, we oftentimes cannot do that. And what do we need to do? We must trust the Lord and we must continue to look at Him. And I wonder if this morning, if you have ever been down in the dumps, that you've been emotionally drained, that at times you just felt like you could not keep going on and that, that the Lord had pressed you beyond the point where you could seriously be pressed. And as I think of Second Timothy chapter 2 and, and the words that were penned by Paul, I wonder if he was actually thinking about some of his missionary journeys. I wonder if he's looking back upon his life and and he recognizes now looking back that the Lord had orchestrated so many things in his life in order to conform Paul more and more to the image of the Son. In order to teach Paul, this priceless lesson that he is not to be overly concerned with the affairs of everyday life, but that he is supposed to keep his focus upon the Lord Jesus Christ. And and I wonder as we turn to Acts, and please turn to Acts chapter 18 with me. As we consider the Apostle Paul traveling from Athens to Corinth, if it could be that perhaps Paul was a little discouraged. That perhaps Paul was a little emotionally drained. That perhaps Paul was physically drained, as maybe some of you are this morning. Because think about Paul's life up to this point. It has not been an easy journey. As the Lord continues to go before him, what he encounters time and time and time again is not just a normal opposition where somebody just gets mad at him, right? No, it goes so much more than that. The opposition that he has encountered has included stoning, leaving him for dead. It has included him being beaten by rods. It's included him being placed in jail. 
And, and while there are definitely times of, of sunshine, such as the salvation of Lydia, such as the earthquake in that particular prison, which then leads to the salvation of the jailer, what we see time and time again, and what we see again today, is oftentimes the way that the story ends in each city for Paul is quite discouraging, is it not? As when he leaves Thessalonica, he's fearing for his life. As when he arrives in Athens, he's alone. And as we are going to see this morning, as he arrives in Corinth, he once again is alone. And, And maybe... This loneliness and and doing ministry by himself in Athens and now thinking about doing ministry by himself alone in Corinth has Paul discouraged. And, and, And what would the Lord's answer to his discouragement be? And what we are going to see this morning is this. I believe the Lord's answer is his provision. That is the Lord's answer to to this discouragement that might be facing the Apostle Paul. And, and I believe that in this, I, I'd like to just take a, a step away from, from zoning into verse by verse and, and, and view kind of life, the life of Paul from 2,000 feet up. And some of the lessons that the Lord has allowed Paul to go through that I believe are really tests, litmus tests, to expose Paul's heart to reveal to us, okay, how are we supposed to handle these kinds of situations? And the, the two tests are, are easy to see because they keep happening to Paul. And the first test is, how do you handle suffering? Right? That is something that we have seen in the life of the Apostle Paul time and time again. How he handles suffering. As he goes through quite a bit of suffering time and time again. But instead of just saying, okay, that's it. You know what? That, that's enough. I'm gonna now head back to Antioch and I'm gonna, I'm gonna go back to the life that I lived before. This missionary stuff is just too much, too hard. And not worth it. No, that, that is not his perspective at all. His perspective is the perspective that we see voiced in 2 Timothy. That he is living for the eternal things. And this morning we need to think about ourselves. And and when we see ourselves, such as I am this morning, struggling with sickness, what is my attitude like? What is your attitude like? When, When you see yourself suffering, when you see yourself under some sort of duress and hardship. The number two lesson that, that I believe is, is even stronger for us is, is this. How do you handle success? Or in Paul's case, how do you handle a lack of success? I, I won't say failure, because we know that in Athens at least some are saved. But, but can we come to the place to where we recognize that, that Paul's life is not always full of success? Yes, there are believers that, that are saved. There, there are some that are saved in Athens. But for the most part, as we look at, and as we looked at last week, the, the entire city is basically unchanged. The, the idols that they were worshiping before Paul got there are the same idols that they're worshiping after he leaves. How do you handle something like that? Some, some sort of failure. 
You know, it's easy to praise God when your when when your employer comes up to you and out of the blue says, you know what, I'm going to give you a 30 percent raise. Okay, I'm no I'm no prophet, so don't just claim that or something. But how but how do you respond? Well, in that in that case, you're like, thank you, Lord. But then maybe two days later, you're an autopilot and you're no longer thanking him each day. Right? What do we do? We take God's grace for granted so often and we don't see His provision on a daily basis. And this morning, that, that is what we are going to see. We're going to see God's wonderful grace manifesting itself towards the Apostle Paul. But my question for us this morning is, what, what do you do with that? What do you do with the success or the failure? This is something that has been reality for me. Can, can I just be completely blunt and honest with you all? And let you know that since I became the senior pastor in Rancho Baptist Church, I I, I at times struggle with this. Am I a failure? Why would I say such a thing? Well, Well, look around you. Okay, the second service, it's not so evident. But when I came and I first candidated at this church, every service was jam packed. Over 550 people, I believe, came to the three services. A year later, do you know what our numbers were? Closer to 450. Now, a year and a half later, where are our numbers? Closer to 350. What what am I supposed to do with that? Am am I going to stand before the Lord one day and is He going to say, Jason, my servant... Man, you have not done a good job. I'm, I, I am now holding you accountable because the number in the church within your first two years declined. Is that what it's all about? Is it all about, well, not many people know you. You're not famous enough. Is that what it's going to be all about? No, I don't believe so. Not at all. In fact, God's Word would, would let, lend me to, to understand that, that what I'm going to be judged upon is, is how I handle this. My faithfulness to God's Word. My faithfulness to Him. Day in and day out. Proclaiming this accurately, truthfully. And allowing God's Word by His wonderful grace to not only change me, but to change you. And, and that's not a power that, 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 that I wield and possess. That is something that He wields. Something that He does is I am faithful with this. And as long as I have my focus on Him and that, then, then I'm not up and down with, with you know, the seemingly failures that, that might be looming around me. What am I talking about? I'm talking about this. I think this would be a good verse for all of us to, if we could, to sketch on our foreheads, right? To, to write upon our hearts, to somehow implement and, and, and place on our, our particular minds that, that we would not forget this. As Paul says, and we know that God causes what? All things to work together for good. To those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. The question for us this morning as we turn to Acts chapter 18, and all we're going to look at is five short verses. The question is this. Do you see God as a God who provides everything you need in your life? 
Let me ask that question again. Do you see God as a God who provides everything that you need in your life? Or are you like me when you get discouraged? Do you lose sight of the many ways that God is looking after you? Why? Because you get your focus off of Him and onto all the circumstances. This morning in Acts, we're going to see God's answer to discouragement. The seemingly discouragement that I, I would believe that Paul is going through. And that is God's, what the Lord has provided. So turn with me to Acts chapter 18, verses 1 to 5. And that's probably my longest introduction ever. After these things, he, meaning Paul, left Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontius, having recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. He came to them, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them, and, and they were working. For by trade, they were tent makers. And he was reasoning in the synagogue every Sabbath and trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. But when Silas and Timothy came down from Macedonia, Paul began devoting himself completely to the word, solemnly testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. So this morning, what we're going to see is we're going to see the Lord do some things in order to give Paul added strength and I believe added courage when he is struggling. When, when he might be struggling with not only discouragement, but loneliness. We're going to see the Lord step forward and do some things. But at first glance, you might not see the Lord. You might think this is all about Paul and what he is doing. And, and while Paul is involved, the Lord is doing so much in all of these circumstances. And we're going to see that this morning. We're, we're going to see four things, four ways in, in which God provides for Paul. But, but by the time we're done... You could have written so many more than four. I'm just highlighting four. But the way that the Lord works is so much greater than just these four ways. And I believe we see this right out of the gate, right from the beginning. Look at verse 1 as it says, After these things, he left Athens and went to Corinth. After these things, after these kind of depressing things, right? After the way they did not respond, I'm sure the way that Paul wanted them to respond we see that, that, that he leaves Athens and, and that he goes to Corinth. Here's an extra provision that, that I believe is, is seen with, within these words. And that is the provision of not only a strong body to make this long journey, but good health. How many of us take our, our health and, and, and our bodies for granted? Yeah, I would say that we'd all have to raise our hands, except for maybe some of you who might have gone through an accident or something recently, and now you're like, oh, my, I understand. Because before it was so much easier for me to, you fill in the blank, bend down and tie your own shoelaces or what have you. What do we do? We take that for granted. Don't miss the fact that this was a 53-mile journey that Paul went on. And as I've said before, he, he didn't have a bus that he could jump on. He didn't have an airplane or a helicopter or a motorcycle. There was one of two ways that he could go from point A to point B. Either that was by horse or by foot. And nothing is mentioned of a horse, so I am assuming that Paul is walking this journey. 
And in this, God is gracious to him and allowing him to have good enough health and enough strength in his own body to make this walk. But recognize that he is alone. And this isn't normally the way that Paul goes from point A to point B. Normally, he's with Timothy and Silas, or before in the first missionary journey, he's with Barnabas. How much different is it for you when you're walking alone or doing something alone than with you, than when you have someone with you? Totally different. And I believe that that could have added to Paul's loneliness. But was he indeed alone? No, the Lord was with him. And maybe that's the encouragement you need this morning. Whatever and wherever, however the Lord has you this morning, in what particular circumstance and situation you find yourself in, the Lord is there. Even with me desiring to get up this morning and wanting to be totally better, and I wasn't, was the Lord still not with me? Yes, He was. Just as He's empowering me now. Through His Spirit. And the Lord does the same with each one of us. So as Paul arrives in Athens, this, this journey isn't just some small little journey. Remember how far he has gone already. And this in particular shows how far Silas and Timothy are going to travel. Hundreds of miles that the Lord has taken him through his faithfulness through going with Paul every step of the way. But as he arrives in Corinth, this is what he would see. He would see a magnificent city. He would see a a city that was the commercial capital of Greece. It had replaced Athens as like the number one city. And as he arrived in Corinth, he would no doubt recognize how many people were there. Not just how many people, but how many different nationalities. Because everybody comes through Corinth. If you want to get to north or from southern Greece to northern Greece or vice versa, this is where you come through. If you're going to Rome, this is where you come through. To such an extent that they they wouldn't even take uh, ships around the corner. They had some sort of rollers that they would take the ships out of the water, put them on rollers and wheel them from one side of the city to the other. And their marketplaces were incredible. They didn't just house goods from Corinth. They housed goods from all over the world. They had balsa wood from Arabia. They, they had dates from Phoenicia. They had ivory from Babylon. Papyrus from Egypt. Goat hair from Cilicia. Wool from Lyconia. And, and even slaves from Phrygia. You could get everything that you needed from any part of the world right here in Corinth. And what did that do? That also made this city a cosmopolitan city. They were rich in ethnicity. But probably the most significant aspect of Corinth that would have grabbed Paul right away is the fact that this was an incredibly corrupt city. In fact, that's what Corinth was known for. For it being totally corrupt. Do you know what Corinth was all about? Much like America, it's all about sex. That's all Corinth seemed to be interested in. To such an extent that that they built this. They they built this temple for this Greek goddess who, who they dedicated the entire city to her. Aphrodite, she was the goddess of love. But not the way that, that the Bible would talk about love. Love in such a way that it's sexual immorality in any way imaginable. That's the kind of love that they promoted in Corinth. 
to such an extent that they had a thousand priestesses. But they weren't really priestesses. What they, what they were were prostitutes. And this is the kind of influence that Paul walks into. And remember, as he enters into the city, no doubt he was lonely, he was discouraged, he was tired. And, and now I would think there's some sort of oppression going on as well. And yet, instead of coming into the city and going, okay, let's just keep going. He decides to stop there and he actually chose this city. Why would he do such a thing? Aren't we supposed to try to stay away from such things? No, the reason why Paul goes forward is because he was committed to doing the hard thing. Even though it might have been difficult. I believe that all of these factors lead Paul to to write this in 1 Corinthians. Because this is what his mindset was like as he came into Corinth. And he saw all of this. And remember, he's coming from Athens and what had just happened there. And so now he's in another terribly tough city. And he says this to the Corinthians, I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. We're going to see this more as we continue on in the book of Acts and in the next verses in chapter 18. That, that Paul is actually fearful. It's not just that he's lonely. It's not just that he's discouraged. But there's even more to what's going on with Paul. And yet he doesn't use this as an excuse to say, okay, I'm done. He's willing to take the hard road. Why? Why, why is he so willing to go into a place that's going to be this difficult? Why is he so willing to take a ministry that he knows is going to be a a difficult one, not an easy one? Because he recognizes that more than anything else, he wants to be effective. And he knows that if the Lord can use him in Corinth to establish a church in Corinth, he can affect like the whole world. And so he says in in his mind, you know what, It's, it's it's, it's worth the risk that I'm going to take. How about you? Is there something that the Lord might impress upon your heart that you're saying, no, 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 that's not worth the risk. Getting involved in children's ministry. No, 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 please, not those little ones. Right? What is the Lord dealing with with you that, that might be a challenge to you to step forward by faith just as the Apostle Paul did and recognize that He wants you to be effective in ministry? And perhaps that's here, working here at RBC. So how does God help Paul in this time of, of, of this possible loneliness and discouragement? And what we see first is, is this. The Lord provides friends. Why? Because I believe Paul is lonely. I believe that Paul has now been ministering by himself over and over and over again. And and perhaps as he comes into Corinth, he recognizes, okay, you know what? That was lame in Athens to do that all by myself. And so what does he do? He seeks after some some friends. Look at verse 2. And he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontius having recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. Don't miss out on what the Lord has done. 
first off, when it says that, that he found a Jew, it, it doesn't mean that just randomly as he was walking from store to store to store to store, that he just, you know, kind of bumped up against somebody. Oh, look, what's your name? Oh, Aquila. Oh, you happen to be a Jew. Oh, wow. Oh, you happen to be a tent maker. Huh. Oh, and you happen to be saved. No, that, that isn't the idea. The idea here behind the finding is the idea of finding something after a careful search. This is something that Paul was trying to do. He was looking after them in particular. Maybe it was because he had already heard about Aquila and Priscilla. You know, we're not told anywhere in this account that they are saved through the ministry of Paul. Why is that? Because I believe they were already saved. I believe they were saved in Rome. That some missionary came to Rome, shared the gospel, and they got saved. And do you know why this emperor Claudius got so upset that he evicted all the Jews out of Rome? Many historians say it was because of this animosity, this friction that was going on between those believing Jews and those that were not believing Jews over the name Jesus Christ. And there was so much conflict and friction between those two groups that finally the Emperor Claudius said, no more. I want all the Jews out of here. And the Lord used that in order to take Aquila and Priscilla from Rome all the way to Corinth, which was no easy feat. And yet this is all part of what the Lord was graciously going to provide Paul with to give him some friends when he landed in Corinth. All by God's wonderful good grace. And do you recognize the importance of friendship? Is that something the Lord has shown you already? I would dare say yes, that, that all of us recognize that. that. That friendships are something the Lord can use in mighty ways in our lives. Look at what Proverbs 18.24 has to say. Um, a man of too many friends comes to ruin. But there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. For those of you that are in college or just out of college and and, and you are in the place now to where you're you're becoming more and more of an adult, you're thinking about moving out of your house or you've already moved out of your house and, and you're doing this and doing that, please listen. Be careful who it is that you are spending time with. Be careful who the friends are that you establish as your good friends. Why? Because they can take you one way or the other. They can pull you closer to the Lord or they can push you further away from the Lord. Be wise in the choosing of your friends. When I was in college, we we had had some very good friends. And they actually each became youth pastors and and they're still involved in, in, in ministry to this day. And every Friday, we would take off from the South Bay and, and, and go to Trestles in San Onofre and go surfing. And that wasn't just a surfing time. That was this wonderful, great accountability time of challenging each other with our walks with the Lord. And we had a wonderful time encouraging and growing in Christ as we spent time with one another. But do you know what? That, those friendships changed. You know Why? Because of the blessing that the Lord brought to each of us as each of us got married. The Lord gave us even better friends in our wives. 
And I believe you can add this as an extra provision from the Lord. This isn't a provision to Paul. This is a provision for Aquila. As we see of all the ways that he's described, he's described Anne and his wife Priscilla. We're going to see this in the book of Acts. We're going to see them again. We're going to see that the, that the Lord allows them to travel with Paul to Ephesus. And, and they're going to meet Apollos. And they're going to be used by the Lord to help steer Apollos into a better understanding of who Jesus Christ is. Men, do you recognize, those of you who have been given the gift of a wife, what a blessing your wife is. Such a blessing that, that Proverbs 18 22 says it like this, He who finds a wife finds a what? Finds a good thing. A blessing to us. I praise the Lord for my wife. All the time I praise the Lord for my wife. Come on, she she went to the jungles of Papua New Guinea and served the Lord side by side with me. With our kids getting malaria and this and that. Man, what, what a strength she was for me. She still is today. What's your testimony like towards your wife? Is this something? Is she someone that you thank the Lord for continually? We, we know from, from church history as we look back that so many godly men, do you know what the, what the real reason was for their successful ministries? It was their godly wives. Jim Elliott, who did he have? Elizabeth. If, if Charles had in Spurgeon, he had Susie. Martin Luther had Katie. We, we could go on and on the blessings that wives are to us. But the Lord provides more than just friends for the Apostle Paul. As we see next this, the Lord provides work. Look at the end of verse, verse 2 and verse 3. As it says, he, Paul, came to them, Aquila and Priscilla. And because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them. And they were working, for by trade they were tent makers. So how do I know that the Lord is the one providing this? Because just think about it. Of all the people for him to find in Corinth, he finds one, people that are Jews, so that he has the same nationality. They have all their history together. He finds two ones that are believers. And three, he finds ones that actually do the same work, the same vocation that he does. Tent making. Which could either be leather or cloth. And this was very needful in in this time. Because as people traveled, they needed places to sleep. Particularly shepherds, or the military, or travelers. And so everywhere you went, you would be able to do this job. But notice, this is the first time that we see Paul doing any kind of work like this. What we would consider normal vocational work. Work in order to make ends meet. What, what, is, what does this imply to us? This implies that Paul was out of money. That up to this point, he, he had enough to get by. And perhaps it points back to the church in Antioch. That when they left on their second missionary journey, that the church in Antioch blessed them with some sort of financial support. And that support was able to get them all the way through to this point. To when he arrives in Corinth. And so as he comes into Corinth, he says, oh no, that's below me. 
I used to be a tent maker, but now I am the Apostle Paul. No, he doesn't do that at all. You know what I believe one of the coolest things is about, about working here with the guys that I get to work with, the other pastors? is Nothing is beyond any of them. Do you know that, that I've seen them do toilets? I've seen them do everything. Why? Because they recognize that service of the Lord. Paul recognized that as well. And so we do. We all serve the Lord. We, we rearrange the chairs and put them back together. Why? Because that is a blessing that we get to serve. Serving isn't always just proclaiming God's Word on Sundays. And in this, we, we see this idea of a tent-making ministry, right? We've all heard about that. Usually it's used in missions context. And in the country where we worked in Papua New Guinea, it was easy to get a, a what they call a religious visa. That you could go and you can work in that country and they knew that you were there for a religious purpose. That you were there to be a church planter. That you were there in order to translate God's Word. But do you know that's not always the case? Do you know that there's other countries that are closed and they say, absolutely not. We don't want you proselytizing. We don't want you propagating any kind of religious belief system or anything like that. So what happens in those countries? They go and they work as tent makers. They get a normal job in that country where the country is okay with them doing. And then what do they do on the side? Want to talk about a hard and long life? To work 40 hours a week and then to spend 20 or 30 hours proclaiming God's Word? But that's what they do. And that's what the Apostle Paul is doing here. Is this because he thinks that that it's wrong to receive money? That pastors should not receive money from their congregations or, or anything like that. Or that missionaries should only be a, in a tent-making ministry. No, not, not at all. In fact, he, he says in, in 1 Timothy 5, 17 to 18, a verse that I'm very thankful for. He, he says that those that are involved in the preaching and the teaching of the Word, that, that they, sh- they, they can be compensated by the flock, by the Lord. And so it's, it's okay in that kind of context for pastors to be paid by the body. But that doesn't mean that, it's, that that's all, only the way that it's going to happen. Because he says in 1 Corinthians 9, verses 13 to 18, he says, I'm so thankful that I didn't have to take any money from you. Although I could have. I could have taken money from you, but I didn't want to be any kind of offense or a stumbling block in your path. Why? Because during this time, you know what one of the most lucrative businesses was? It was to be an orator, to be a public speaker. They paid them and they paid them good money for someone to stand up and pontificate and to philosophize and and all this other stuff. And what Paul wanted to do is he wanted to make sure that they would know, hey, I'm not in this for the money at all. And yet we know that he was in need. And so what does he do? He works. My my mind goes to the the TV evangelists that just rake in millions and that have these crazy houses that are how many thousand square feet and how many cars and and thousand dollar shoes and 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 this and that especially when when i know so many missionaries that are poorly supported and i can't really wrap my head around it 
except for to know that at some point they will stand under judgment. And that all pastors, all of us, we need to be faithful with the money that the Lord provides for us. And we need to use it for His kingdom, not for ours. Perhaps another reason why Paul goes this direction and why he jumps into this ministry that we haven't seen him jump into before is he needed a break. Maybe the Apostle Paul thought, well, you know what, this, this would actually be good for me to do some sort of work outside of the preaching ministry. And so he jumps in there. But we see that the Lord does more than just provide work, right? We see too that He provides a home. You know, it's, it's essential to have a place to stay, but it's not always a guarantee. Especially as a missionary. Oftentimes, as missionaries, you do not know where you're gonna stay when you finally get to your destination. And that is the same with the Apostle Paul. City after city after city, wherever he traveled, he never knew exactly where he was going to stay. And so this is the Lord's provision for him as he arrives there. Not only are they Jewish, not only are they believers, not only do they become his friends and later his fellow co-laborers, but they have a house and they say, have at it. Our house is your house. What a blessing. Think about what that, what kind of blessing that would have been to the Apostle Paul. To know that he had a place to stay in Corinth. Galatians 6.10 says this, So then, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. How involved are we in that? Are we being a blessing to others? Are we involved in hospitality to some extent? Do, Do you recognize that we have missionaries coming home all the time? And that when they come home, they need a place to stay. Or if they're coming in the area just for two days or one day, that they would be blessed by staying with some of us. Perhaps that's a way that the Lord could use you in someone else's life. Or perhaps it's inviting somebody that you don't know very well here in church. Or a new family that that you've never recognized. Inviting them to, to go out to eat or to come to your place. That That's the kind of thing that we've seen in the book of Acts and we see it here with Aquila and Priscilla as they bring in the Apostle Paul. But we see that there's more. That the Lord isn't finished. And and who the Lord provides at the end is this. He he provides the return of of His co-laborers. And this is such a blessing to Paul. Why? Because he's he's doing his normal tent-making ministry and he's preaching. And he knows that his... Time is divided. And look at how the Lord answers that. And he was reasoning, verses 4 and 5, and he was reasoning in the synagogues every Sabbath and trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. But when Silas and Timothy came down from Macedonia, Paul began devoting himself completely to the Word, solemnly testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. Why couldn't he fully devote himself to this before? Because he... He had to spend half his time in the tent making ministry. And now as these guys come, they come with so much encouragement. It's not just that his co-laborers come and that's all that the Lord has provided. It's so much more because we know from other passages of Scripture that the Lord did so much more through them. 
that as Silas comes, he comes from Philippi. And as he comes, the church there takes up an offering for Paul. More than once, Paul says in Philippians. And we know that as Silas comes back, he must bring some of that money to them. And now Paul recognizes, man, I don't have to work as a tent maker anymore. Praise the Lord. I'm going to go at it with all that I have. And, and, and by God's grace, let's turn this city upside down for Christ. But that's not all the encouragement because Timothy comes from Thessalonica. And we see this in 1 Thessalonians 3, 1 to 10. Where it says that Paul sent Timothy from Athens to Thessalonica to check on the church. And as Timothy comes back to him, he gives him news that things are going well. And no doubt this was a major encouragement to Paul. Along with the financial support, along with the camaraderie, these were his friends. And all of this, I believe, the Lord uses to encourage Paul and to push him full on back into ministry. That's how gracious and good our God is. That He provides Paul not only with new friends, not only with a place to stay, not only with a job so that he can have money enough to pay for his own food and this and that, but He provides the return of His co-laborers with the encouragement from the churches that they had planted as well as some financial support. That's how good our God is. How has God provided for you? Are there things that you've missed? As you look back, perhaps that's what the Lord wants to speak to you this morning. Is stop and, and think about how the Lord might have provided for you. And for those of you that are in a, in a position where you're like, oh, I wish the Lord would provide for me. We are so needy, Pastor Jason. We don't know how we're going to even make it through this next month. Well, we'll take comfort, take encouragement with how the Lord has looked after Paul. And write this down, Matthew 6, 25-34. We all know that passage. Go back and look at that passage. Where, where it says that if the Lord provides for the lilies of the field, and He provides for the birds of the air, will He not much more provide for you? This is our loving and gracious God. The same God that is looking after the Apostle Paul time and time and time again will look after you. He will look after me. There's some points to ponder for you to, to look at throughout the rest of the week as well. Let me close our time in prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you that you are a God who provides. Help us. Teach us. To see your provisions daily, Lord. That we might write them upon our hearts. That we might give you thanksgiving for how you look after us. Expand our understanding of how you are working in our lives and what you want us to do on your behalf as we step forward in faith, challenged by what we see here on the pages of Acts. And allow us by your grace to, to turn the world that is around us upside down for you. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, thanks for being with us today. It's always a pleasure to serve you with this CD ministry. Here at Rancho Baptist Church, our mission is to glorify God by making disciples who love God, love others, and live to reach their world for Christ. And if you have any questions regarding this sermon, or just perhaps knowing God in a deeper way, don't hesitate to give us a call. Our phone number is area code 951-676-2911. Or you can reach us on the web at www.ranchobaptistchurch.com. 
www.rancho-baptistchurch.org. That's www.ranchobaptistchurch.org. Have a great day in the Lord, and God bless you as you continue to walk with Him.